lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Aaron, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover how to love a human. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am with Aaron B., host and producer of the Black Astronauts podcast. Hey Aaron, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing? Pleasure to have me on, or pleasure to to have me on. See, you know that's, I'm not used to doing this. It's a pleasure to be on. Aaron is used to being on the other side of right. the interviewing coin. So this is going to be an interesting experience. Oh, boy, is it ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just jumped right in, starting with my non-researchy question first. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Man, I'm, I'm human as fuck today, man. That's, that's, that's what I am, man. What's I'm, the difference for you? How you know which one you are today? So today it feels like I feel everything more. Mm-hmm. Like you know how some days you can just go around plotting about your day and you know almost on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Like today feels like I'm snappy, I'm near, I'm together. I got everything. Like it's the electricity, I can feel it in my fingertips type right. deal, you know. One of those days when you wake up. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about human. That's being, a that's a human. good feeling. That's a great feeling. Like you're on Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when I start the conversation, I start with who you are. Let the people know you share with me your most salient identities. And that can be anything from race, class, gender, all of that to what makes you you. Okay. I am a husband and a father. I'm a black man. Middle class America. Raised from a lower income family, oldest of a lot of kids. And uh, I feel like I'm the, I'm the kind of person that you want as your friend. Mm. You know, I'm, I have, I'll have your back. Like, I feel like that's my, my greatest characteristic. Like when I, when I say I want to do something for you, Oh, it's going to get done. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to figure out how to get it done. You know, and if I can't get it done, then we're going to figure out another way and another solution until it gets done. So, yeah, it's really weird talking about myself, by the way. <laughs> it can be weird when you're you're on the side that always asks the questions. But feel free to share whatever you want to share. So you said husband, father, black man, great friend, oldest, all of these roles kind of build into what you just described, right? Being there for people. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that's what that's what I always wanted. I never want somebody to say I wasn't there for them. Mm-hmm. What makes those identities stand out versus others? It's what I it's what I have based my entire life off of, basically. You know, being able to like those those identities have been like bore into my core mm. um, from like family members and just being a child, being a very observant child, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to feel um, 
other people's emotions and feel temperatures of rooms. And, you know, I've always had that feeling of like emotionally being in in touch with everybody. Mm. So being able to deal with that, it's, it's a way for me to navigate that Mm -hmm. without being overwhelmed, you know? So, so your empathy is on a hundred. Always. All the time. Always. Put it this way. Whenever I go into a church, um, and you know, it's so many emotions always being poured out in service. Um, and regardless of religion, uh, because I've actually been to mosques as well, been to temple, Buddhist temples. Like I've been everywhere as far as religion is concerned. Mm -hmm. And you always feel that emotion. And every time I'm there, I I cry. I can't Mm -hmm. help it. Like even if it's a song going on or it's a sermon or, um, there's a reading being said, it instantly hits me. That's why I can't go to certain spaces mm-hmm. a lot because it like the emotion overwhelms mm. a lot. Now, is it that when you go to those spaces, it releases the emotions that you're holding for other people for you that you cry? Or is it that you're crying for the, like, you know what I'm saying? Is it yours? It, is it your emotion or is it their emotion that's pouring out of you? It's, it's, it's a combination. Mm. It's like the emotion that I'm feeling from everybody else. Right. Right. Along with the emotion of not being able to, you know, as a man, as a husband, I want to fix things. Mm. So being able to not fix these emotions that I'm feeling from everybody. Um, so that, that those all kind of pour out into one little, like nugget of a tear. <laughs> right. right. Then, then, you know, you do feel a release when, because anytime you cry, it's a release. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you leave that building, it's like, okay, whew, okay, that was good. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, 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 I'm empty. I'm ready to go back and help more people. Got you it. Know? And what I love about you being transparent about that at the, at the outset is that we don't hear this coming from black men enough we don't listen for it one but we also don't hear it when it comes right so we don't hear black men as empathic black men as walking into a room and feeling overwhelmed with emotion and being able to express those emotions through tears or whatever I feel you though when I walk into a church I get the same usually there's like a certain chord in music I don't know what that chord is absolutely but if that chord hits and like the emotions are there and that feeling of overwhelm or connectivity or whatever it is comes up, like I'm crying, like I'm hitting, I'm hitting the floor, hitting the altar, like, oh, Lord, oh, my goodness. Like, I feel it wash over me. So I definitely identify with that experience as well. And it's, well, with, you know, with certain pastors, and I know it might be a little bit off subject, but no, go ahead. like with certain pastors, that's what they teach you know like when you go to a seminary they teach certain chords in certain um cadences like if you notice all pastors when they get to a certain point their cadence is pretty much the same mm. when they're delivering their sermon and it's it's taught that way on purpose um it's just, it's really interesting when you like think about the dynamics of emotions in the church okay i didn't know that so Does it depend on culture? Because I have a different experience when I go to (laughs) white churches than I when I do to black churches. Yeah, it definitely depends on culture. 
Um, so, and, and you can see it in certain like white churches as well. Mm-hmm. If, if you can tell what kind of seminary they went to, okay, by the way they kind of carry themselves and you know the the way they deliver their sermon. So. You you can tell. You can it's- tell. Now, now that you're pointing it out, I'm really picking up on this because I go to a multicultural church. And so sometimes the pastor is black, sometimes the pastor is white. And then they had a guest pastor who was Indian, like from the country of India. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I was trained. If you're if you're a person that knows the city of Atlanta, he was like, I was trained um, by people who lived in Decatur and mm-hmm. DeKalb County which for Atlanta, that largely means a black population. And his cadence, even as an Indian man, was very much what I hear in traditional black churches. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. I see how you were trained. So now that you're building on that, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Depending on the seminary. I'm, I'm full of useless information. You know, <laughs> it's useful. It's useful to somebody. You're going to reach somebody today with that message. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we just focused on for about three good minutes is spirituality, but you didn't mention that in your most salient identities. What about that? Um, I struggle with spirituality. Um, I always have. Mm-hmm. I think as a child, <clears throat> you, uh, excuse me, you, uh, you're taught a certain way and you're not taught to question your beliefs. Um, mm. and as I got older, I started to question, not necessarily my beliefs, but the way my beliefs were told to me, Wow! you know, like the, the, I don't believe, I, I believe in my beliefs. Those, those are firm. It's just the delivery and the way the message in general mm-hmm. seemed like it was a, a, a lot more self-serving than I would, I appreciate as an adult, as a kid, I get why you need to obey your parents and you need to do right by people. But as an adult, it seems like more of a control mechanism at times. And I didn't appreciate that um, as I got older. So I, I pick and, and choose as far as spirituality. Got it. Because uh, you said you've been to a different, like Buddhist temples and mosques yeah, and churches. Yeah, I've been to mosques, mm-hmm. Buddhist temple. Um, I, I've, like I said, I just, I try to seek out my own answer. Right. You know, like I, like I still pray every night or when I remember, I'm not even going to lie and say mm-hmm. every night mm-hmm. when I remember, but you know, I don't know if that's habit or if that's, you know, something beyond there. So, you know, I'm still, I'm still questioning it. You know, I deal with it daily, but you know, I believe in a higher power. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talked about that transition from, would you consider your family of origin, social class, working class or poverty to middle class, which what was that like for you? Yeah, so we were definitely, uh, so we were pretty much homeless at one point. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so poverty yeah. was, you know, definitely there. But, uh, you know, we, we got, my mom worked incredibly hard um, with a bunch of kids, went back to school and, you know, got to working class and eventually middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, the experience there has made me such a, strange individual um strange in what way and i i can navigate just about any space you put me in Mm. um and feel very comfortable in those spaces and i see other people struggle with that so much and it's just it's weird to me 
um, or they in, in turn call me weird because I can Got it. get these different personalities um, and kind of talk to them in a way they can relate to. So, so for you, it's normal to be adaptive. You go in any environment, you can adapt to it. When you say any environment, what are some of the ones that you've had to get into and people be like, oh, wow, you really just stepped right into this and fit in? I'll give you a perfect example okay. of how one of my days went as a younger person. I won't go into anything recent, but um, so, for instance, I was uh, nominated for Youth of the Year for the National Christian Council of Christian and Jews, right? Mm-hmm. I was Youth of the Year. Great. While at Youth of the Year program awards, I get a text message from one of my friends who says, meet me at the house. So we get to the house where we proceed <laughs> to see somebody get robbed. No. You know, like that, that was my day. Like, so in the very beginning of the day, I'm hobnobbing with the president of the National Council. I think they changed the National Council of Community Justice, but okay. it used to be Christians and Jews. Um, so I was hobnobbing with him and the president of the universe, local university. And then not even four hours later, I was watching somebody or I was in the middle of a robbery. Wow. Um, so, and I wasn't, obviously, my friends weren't a part of the robbery, but they were getting robbed. Oh, so, man. Yeah. So, yeah, th- th- that's like a normal day for me, mm-hmm. you know, like, and being able to navigate, navigate both and feel like comfortable, weirdly enough, in both mm-hmm. uh, and not being able to like ha- those two things never cross over. So I think that's probably why I'm more comfortable than than not. So what happens when they do? It, it hardly ever happens. Mm-hmm. It hardly ever happens. There are maybe two or three times. I can remember where I saw somebody that I knew from a different life Mm. and they were just like, Oh, I was like, yeah, Hey, (laughs) I can do it all. Hey buddy. Yeah. This is a shirt and tie. This is what I wear. (laughs) So that goes, that even goes to my schooling. Like I went to a Catholic school, but for K-12, well, mostly K through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a little bit of a rolling stone when it came to schools. Got it. I only stayed at one school like two years. That's okay. the school I say that. Um, but I lived in the hood, so I would ride the bus downtown mm-hmm. and go to school with people that were driving Bentleys to school. Wow. So, yeah, it's been, been an interesting life or upbringing, I should say. Was there ever a time, because it seems like you worked really hard until it became natural to be able to fit in everywhere. Was there ever a time where you felt like, where am, who am I? Where am I really in all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it really hit in college. Okay. Um, Because in college, I got um, introduced to a new set of people, which Mm -hmm. were my fraternity brothers. Right. So that's a whole new dynamic because these are now Mostly African American men, except for my sans Mike. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, if you're listening. Um, hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's white, but everybody else is black, and it's just like these are upward, uh, upwardly mobile young black men that want to make a difference, but also like to party and kick it. Mm-hmm. So I would go back. <clears throat> excuse me. No problem. Catching a little bit of a cold, um, and I would see. Like 
the hood, the hood guys, and they'll look at me like, so you going back to school? What's going on? Like, we got some stuff we want to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll just be like, no, man, I'm I'm back in school. Like, I, I, I think I found my, my, my space got it. where I can still go kick it and have fun and act a fool, which is mm-hmm. all I really wanted to do. That's what all everybody wants to do when they're 18, 19, yeah. 20, 23, maybe 25, all of it. <laughs> but at the same time, get your work done. Mm-hmm. And. And I got to see that aspect of, because I was a natural in school. Like, I didn't study a day, K through 12. I don't mm-hmm. remember studying one day. Um, and was able to get through easy. Yeah. So when I got to college, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> wake up. So Did it feel like, oh, I should actually study now? Oh, man. Let me tell you, that first test when I didn't study and I got a D, I was like, I don't even know what this letter is. <laughs> wrong with you? So, But yeah, that's kind of how I learned to navigate everything. Does that stand out for you as one of your identities, like being a smart guy, a guy that just could get it? I don't know, man. Like, I, as, as smart as I am, I'm around a bunch of really, really smart individuals <laughs> all the time. Like, I feel like if I'm the smartest person out of my friends that I I messed up. Mm. So I, I never use that as an identity mm-hmm. because I'm I'm always trying to to get to where my friends are at, you know, okay. like as far as intelligence. So I, I don't really consider that a trait. Like as I'm we're having to work really hard to kind of understand certain things, certain concepts that I weren't introduced to. I wasn't introduced to, you know, as a youngster, like intersectionality and right. all these new like terms and phrases that are being thrown out there. I'm trying to get ahead of them. And a lot of my friends are already there. Got so. it. Yeah. Nobody was introduced to that in K through 12. Like <laughs> that language. Good. We didn't have that language then we knew, <laughs> but you know what you're experiencing, right? So you know who you are and you probably embody intersectionality really well based on how you've described yourself. You know who you are and what your unique experiences are, but you don't have the language when you're right. 14 to talk about that in the same way that you do now. It would be amazing if I did, though. That'd be awesome. It would be. I think that's, that's something to work on for our, for our youth because if they could capture that and identify who they are early on, then they get to define for themselves, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, smart has always been an identity. It's been a saving grace, I think. And so I think that's why I cling to it. I was curious about that for you. You know what? I think I actually do the opposite a lot of times, which is kind of run away from it Mm. Uh, because of when I was younger, some of the schools, you know, like I had to go to smart really wasn't cool. Gotcha. Uh, little, Little did I know. The real cool kids were being like jerks and still doing their work. I learned mm. that about eighth grade. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. These cats are being complete jerks, but they're still getting their work done. They're, those are the real cool kids. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that part, too. <laughs> so I get that. Mm-hmm. What is we're switching a little bit. What does love mean to okay. you? sacrifice Mm. love to me has always meant sacrifice break that down Uh, for me so 
for instance, when I met my wife, <clears throat> goodness, <clears throat> apologize about that. No, get it um, When I met my wife, uh, I was working full time, had an apartment, just, you know, plodding along in life. Mm-hmm. We got together and we had a really whirlwind summer. And then she was like, all right, well, I'm about to go start my life. <laughs> like, I, I'm about to finish teaching and go move to another state. And oh, my wow. sacrifice was picking up everything I knew and loved and saying, okay, well, how much do you love this person? Are you willing to sacrifice everything that you've already built here mm. to try and start something there? Um, so I packed up everything I owned in the car. And I didn't even tell, we didn't even tell her parents I was moving to Oh, Louisville. wow. Like, I just, we just packed up my car on the way to Louisville. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, and we moved in, and I've never been apart from her since. What did it feel like to make that decision? It was terrifying. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying, but in a way that, it was also calming because it was the first real adult decision that I made. Like you say you're an adult, but you're not an adult until you make a decision that will affect your entire life forever. That's a good point. That's a great point. You're not an adult until you make a decision that will affect your life forever. Wow. You know, so I, uh, I packed up that car and it was, it was scary. Because, you know, at any given time, I was living, like, and nothing was in my name, nothing, like, the least, didn't have a car, like, just drove, like, rode in the car down there, like, let's go. So, it could have went really bad, but it, luckily, you know, we've been married for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Good. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> How long have you been married? Seven years. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Really. So, you knew. I knew the day I met my wife. Wow. I knew, and not the day I met, the day that I actually talked to my wife, because I knew my wife for two years. Okay. Um, but she was just a Zeta. So mm-hmm. it was just like, hey, sore, here's a hug. You want a drink? All right, bye-bye. Right. <laughs> um, but one day we sat down and talked for like five hours, and it was just like, okay, yep. This is it. And mm-hmm. that day I knew I was like, I'm going to marry her. All you needed was five hours. <laughs> you need a five hour conversation. You were like, that's it. I'm, yep, I'm good here. And I'm off was, the market. <laughs> it was the feeling, you know, mm-hmm. again, I'm big on feeling. So it was like, I, I've never felt this way before. What was the and feeling? I've been in long term relationships. <laughs> so what was, was the like, feeling if you, could, if you could define or describe it? <sighs> It was a different type of calm. Mm. You know, it was a, I enjoy what you're saying, not because you're saying it, but because of who you are when you say it, Mm. you know? And when she started just going about talking about everything she was talking, I think she was working at McDonald's and that at the time, which was interesting. She was working at McDonald's while she was in grad school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was our thing. I would talk to her throughout the night together through her shift. Six in the morning came. She went to class. I went to work. Right. You know, 
So another just, part of sacrifice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad it worked out. I got a kid out of it. Yeah. I got a kid out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about love. You've got sacrifice. What else does love mean to you? I mean, sacrifice is always the biggest. Mm-hmm. But there's a respect level to love mm. that I don't think a lot of people really appreciate because there's a respect to a person's time, to a person's thoughts. Um, again, when I talk about being smart, I feel like my wife is one of the smartest women in the world, like wow. smartest people I know. Right. So me being able to defer sometimes. Mm-hmm. Again, while it seems like a sacrifice is a part of love, like it's just a bunch of stuff that I know that I'm intelligent enough to do by myself. But the fact is, my wife enjoys doing it and mm-hmm. it makes her feel intelligent. So why not let her put up the shelves or something like that? Like it's a lot of like traditionally masculine, masculine tasks in my house that my wife just enjoys. She's a hobbyist. Got she it. enjoys doing. So again, it, it while it does hit your ego a little bit, like man, well, you know, I'm a man, I can do it. I can put up this drywall if my wife wants to do it with no help. Go right ahead, you know. That's that's a part of the sacrifice you have to make within yourself. Uh, but you know what stands out to me about you, even though you define your most salient identities, all of them, the first three, were very masculine identified: husband, father, black man. You don't seem like you endorse stereotypical masculinity as the way you no. do manhood. No, what is manhood for yeah. you? Like, tell me how you do manhood, what that feels and means for you. Manhood is all about teaching, man. Like, mm-hmm. it's about respect. It's about teaching. Like, as a man, I feel like you're supposed to be a provider in some way, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with monetary. Mm. You know, like, I know that my wife is probably always going to make more than me like that. And until I can get the second portion of my degree, mm-hmm. just, it's just no way. It's like, I know what it is, but my wife is also not very good with, and she won't mind me saying this. She's mm-hmm. not very good with emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't do the emotional thing real well, which is, which I do very well. Right. Um. So it's like, learning how to to give that out as a man and still navigate the space as far as what the world sees a man to be mm. is very difficult sometimes. What makes um, it toughest, you think? I, I think not knowing how somebody will react okay. to what you do or what you say. You know, um, because all of my friends said, understand um, all of my friends understand me. Mm-hmm. So they understand that I'm an emotional guy. I really want to help people, things like that. Everybody in the outside world doesn't understand that. You know, so now you have to deal with a bunch of he-man woman haters. Mm. And it's just like you have to deal with these people because they're your friends, they're your family. So how do you get across your point whilst not making their point seem invalid, you know? How have you been able to do that? Because that does seem hard. I haven't been able to do it very well. 
Mm. Most times I wind up uh, cussing people out or uh, in most cases, I don't put myself around those situations, especially when it comes to like homophobic, misogynistic, like those, anything of that nature, I can't deal with. Like Mm -hmm. I can't have it in my circle. And at one time I was very good friends with people that were that way. And I, I just can't do it anymore. Um, so I just, I limited from my, my circle to begin with. Yeah. What feeling comes up for you when you're around that? Since you're a, an emotion oriented person, I know there's a sensation or a feeling you get that makes you say, no, I don't want to be here. It's a fresh, it's a combination of frustration and anger. Frustration and anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reason being is that you just want to shake them and tell them like, look, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Don't be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can't do that to people that have been taught a certain way for their entire life, right. you know, and believe it to the core. Like, you can never tell me that being homophobic is OK. Like, right. it's built into me to where, you know, that you will never change my opinion on that. Mm-hmm. So you got to th- think of it from their point of view. I'm never going to change your opinion on this. Got it. I can only show you why you're wrong and I can only show you why you're wrong by my actions, mm. you know, which is still accepting you, but not putting up, uh, putting up with what you do, you know, like as far as like my friend, none of my male friends use any kind of like terrible language or anything that's demeaning to people. Like we just don't do it. Ain't no need. Mm-hmm. Like we crack jokes, but if it, like if somebody came out of nowhere and said some homophobic stuff to me, I'm like, hope, hope hold on brother right (laughs) that's not what we do around here you know so you're willing to be corrective in the moment yeah but you know it took a long time and it took a lot of confidence to be able to do that confidence okay so so i'm gonna bring it broad in love because we talked about like the relational aspect that husband wife love but bring love broader i guess in a communal, social, universal sense, what are some other pieces that go into it in addition to sacrifice and respect? Okay. So in addition to sacrifice and respect, um, love is a lot of work. Work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 I, and I know I'm using terms that seem like they're negative, but it's not. Like, this is a good type of work. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be love. Should be something you and like while the, the the task is hard, it be should be something you enjoy doing. Got it. You know. So it's not like going to a job you hate. It's going to a job that's your passion and purpose, even though it's still work. It's like yeah. It's like waking up every day and being your own boss. Mm, okay. Like I get to do. I get to plan out how I get to love you today, or I get to plan out how I get to love the world today. It's my decision. Mm -hmm. You know, if people like think of it from that perspective, it might lead to a lot of people being more willing to love on a daily basis and not be so caught up in the monotony of daily life. Yeah. What would the world be like if it loved people, humans like you, husband, black men, empathic humans? I don't know because I can't ever visualize an entire world like that. Like it's just that whole concept is foreign to me. Make it up. 
get your creative head on. Like if you, if it could be how you wanted it to be, where you feel like you would be able to navigate it in a way where you knew you were loved all the time, what would you need to see? What would you need to feel? So for me, it's all about communication. Okay. Um, so it, when love and communication go hand in hand. So mm. for instance, if you, you asked me to do this, um, if I hadn't said, yeah, it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't love what we do, and, you know, love you. It's just the fact that our communication wasn't right at the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like something didn't match right there. And that's how it is with the world, man. Like if you think about, let's say the president or something, mm-hmm. essentially needs communication daily. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with me. Like I need to be able to talk to my wife on a daily basis. I need to be able to talk to my co-host on a daily basis. And if I don't get that, it's like, well, something's missing out of that day. Mm, you know? Okay. Sorry, it's a long way around saying that. No, it's not. It make, I like that you're flushing it out because it gives me more understanding of what you're saying and where you're coming from. The communication is what helps feel, fuel the connection. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there would be communication. What else would that world look like? If you as a black man, husband, father, friend, oldest brother of many... <laughs> empathic spiritual questioning human being walk through this world that world that loved you or do you feel like the i could be asking the question yeah. wrong do you feel like you're this world as it stands already loves you as a as speaking as a black man absolutely mm-hmm. not okay <laughs> but speaking as aaron yeah i have a lot of love in my life i'm mm. lucky okay um, how do you differentiate that? but as because I can I can walk out my walls and still be a black guy, but mm-hmm. I come in the house I'm Aaron. Got you it. know, if I if I am dealing with my fam, family or friends, you know, white, black, or other, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. They they aren't looking at skin tone or race at that point. Mm. And when you go outside your house, immediately the first person, first thing somebody sees uh, sees from you is your race. Mm-hmm. Like it's something you actually can't hide. Um, so yeah, man, like when I'm, I feel love when I'm at home, mm-hmm. like I feel it. Like it, even when I'm arguing with my wife, um, I've learned to get love out of that. Mm-hmm. Like, because of the fact that she didn't, she's not gone. Yeah. You know, like people that are done and don't care leave. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you got to learn to take that when you can get it. But as far as African-American man, I'm. You know, it's 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 very difficult having my upbringing and being able to see love in the world um, on a daily basis. You know, break that down for me. Having your upbringing and to see the world love you. So, my upbringing was tumultuous. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of death. You know, in my life mm-hmm. growing up, um, more death than any young man should have to deal with and I mean like violent deaths like one of my brother's father was murdered in our house you know like and uh or the fact that I lost my other brother 
at 50, he was he was 15 I was 16 right a car accident from the police chasing him mm. you know like that's not love or the fact that two of my childhood best friends got killed when I was I want to say I was a junior so I had to be 17 so um, just they in were, the span of 2 years of your life you yeah, had some significant yeah. traumas just in, in that a, short span well in the span of maybe 5 years that's when Daniel's dad, uh, Daniel's dad was murdered. Mm-hmm. That's when I was in eighth grade. Ninth grade was pretty easy. Tenth grade is when my grandfather died. Mm. Tenth grade summer is when uh, my two friends were shot. Oh. Going into junior year, everything was cool. Summary of junior year is when my brother was killed. Oh, so man. it's like, you know, like... That's why it's so difficult sometimes to see love in the world. <laughs> I get that. Right? Because well, if death is around you, and it's also why I'm death. so optimistic about life, though. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I'm so, that's the way I am, the way I am. That's why I'm always trying to be upbeat, make everybody else's day better. Because, you know, you just never know when other things are going to go by the wayside when things aren't promised. So you recognize the fragility of life. Oh, absolutely. In a way that maybe people who haven't had to experience so much loss don't have access to yet. Right. Because I can imagine if a person hasn't had any significant people in their life die, they think this is forever. Right. Absolutely. And so then when you walk into the world, one thing that you said that stood out to me was like, when I go into my home, I'm Aaron. And when I walk outside, I'm a black man. You don't even have a name. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, for people that don't know you, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first thing they see. So you are walking around with everybody else's stereotypes pushed on you. Mm. You know, it's, and it's nothing like it's nothing you can do about it. Like I can pull my pants up and I can wear a suit every day. Doesn't stop the stereotypes from being there. Right. Right. So it's like the only person, only people that truly know you and are able to enjoy you are people that you interact with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, people that you interact with in life. And if you aren't interacting with these random people every day then you're just a black dude. Got it. So if you were able to walk through the world and be Aaron with your name, with all that comes with you, with your goodness, your friendship, your positivity, how would the world respond to you? (laughs) I was going to say something that's probably, probably wrong. It's no (laughs) wrong or right. I'm curious about how it it would look Um, for you. They would respond to me like uh, how I would imagine a white guy gets responded to all the time. Mm. You know what I'm saying? What would like that the be? the fear isn't there. Okay, the fear isn't there. Like the, the, the fear isn't there, you know, like the assumption is that, you know, you're college educated or you got, you got something going on, you were raised well. And, mm. you know, like those burdens are placed on African-American men without, you know, immediately. You know, so 
people would to make positive assumptions about you. Might be a totally different world. People would just see you and be like, "Oh, Say I, it again. Po- I was like, people would have positive assumptions about you as soon as they see you. Like, oh wow, he's probably exactly. really smart and had a great life, and just would assume yeah, that." Or, and, and perfect, perfect example. I was I was walking in Target with my daughter. Mm-hmm. It was just me and her, and I pushed her in the cart. And these two, and these two women looked at me like they had never seen a black man with their daughter before. Like, wow! Like stared at me for like an like a good three minutes. Oh! And I like I looked. I kept looking back. That like, sounds uncomfortable. I, it it was. So I kept looking back like I, I'm okay. I don't know what they're doing, but maybe I got something on my shoe or something. And then she, one of the women walked up was like. Oh my God, you're just doing such a cute, a good job with her. I was like, okay, that's what that is. Mm. You've never seen a black dude with his with his daughter. That's what that is. Ah, thank you. <laughs> so, did it feel like a backhanded compliment? It was definitely backhanded. Yeah, you can tell by tone. Tone. I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a producer, mm-hmm. so I can tell inflection, voice inflection. I can tell tone. Like I get it. I get when you're being condescending. So. Mm-hmm. So you're doing such a good job with her. Oh my gosh, like that type of yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, pretty much. But you stared at me for two minutes, and it, that's all you wanted to say. Like, okay, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. What identities in others do you sometimes struggle to love? It's hard for me to be deal with people that are overly confident mm. um, because they're, you know, maybe it's the way I was raised, maybe some of the, my life experiences. But, you know, I know that rug can be snatched from under you immediately. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm overly cautious, which is why we clash, you know. So the but overly that, confident, d- can you define that for me with that? So, is. yeah, overly confident would be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I know ain't nothing, like, or getting me trying, getting some, okay, here we go. Sorry, I had to get my thoughts together. So, get somebody getting me to try and do something, and they know that it's going to be okay, and I have doubts. Mm, okay. So, like, yeah, man, like, all you got to do is do this, 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 and this, and then, you know, you get under the car, you do this, and I'm just like, none of that is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm because I'm, I'm thinking on the other end. So what if the jack messes up? I'm not trying to do this. Let's do something else. And and that's why we don't get along because we're kind of negating each other's thoughts. Okay, got it. So when you're having doubts or when you're seeing all the possible things that could go wrong that you have to be conscientious of, and they're like, just do it, and not kind of giving you your mind the time to flush all of that out and think it through. What what do you feel? It's it's a certain pressure there. Pressure. That, mm-hmm. that is unhealthy in a lot of ways because I I more than most people, and I think it's more of a the empath thing, like mm-hmm. I beat myself up mm. about not being able to make that decision because I am overly cautious and I know the right thing to do. But you always I also also oh. take into account other people's feelings in my decisions. Okay. So it's just like, well, 
is it going to hurt me to do this? Really? I guess not. And so it winds up me giving in to them for, you know, what they want to do. And for most cases, like if it's not going to hurt me or if it's not going to be something that is going to affect the way I do things, then, eh, you know, we can let it go. Got it. So and at the core, you tend to care about what others feel and unless it's going to be harmful to you, you're willing to be flexible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I would not be able to have a podcast if I was not flexible. Um, Probably would have stopped five years ago, honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you on that. (laughs) Well, I have one more question for you that I like to end with. What do you love? (laughs) What do you love most about you? See, I knew you were going to do this. (laughs) See, see, no, no. I I refuse to answer that question. What? I'm just playing. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's, It's for people. For people that don't understand or know me um, is, or know my show, it is very difficult for me to talk about myself. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I just, I think I love the fact that I, I'm a, a really kind individual, mm-hmm. like almost to a fault, but it's my biggest, it's my, my best trait, man. I love it. I love being nice to people, man. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds corny or doesn't seem genuine in this kind of world we live in now, but. I genuinely like making people happy Mm. and like to a point to where I'm willing to do sacrifices so I can get pieces of their happiness so Uh, I can see it, you know? And, you know, I feel like that's the one thing I love about me is that you're never going to be able to get that away from me. I'm always going to want to make people happy. Right. So not just niceness, but really, when you use the word sacrifice, sometimes going out of your way to bring joy to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Even me thinking about like making somebody happy right now is, you know, it puts me in a, a better mood. Mm-hmm. You know, so. I get that. Yeah, because when I think of nice, I think of like you can be passive nice. You're talking about active. Active, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like going out of my way to do things. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And active, active niceness can sometimes be sacrifice, but sometimes it's just, I had time to do this and I knew it would make you happy. Yep. So I got you. Absolutely. Okay. Well, tell me where we can hear more from you so we can shout you out and people can check you out. (laughs) <laughs> this is so weird I, I'm not used to doing this part either <laughs> um, let's see you can go to blackastronauts.com it's where you can find everything on our website I will let you know this is an adult website not as far as pornography but we do talk about adult topics and we do use spicy language from time to time so keep that in mind um, so blackastronauts.com you can also look up Black Astronauts podcast and we're the first thing that should show up um, available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, we're on YouTube as well as uh, right now. So youtube.com backslash black astronauts, uh, where we are breaking down our Westworld uh, podcast right now and among our other shows. So um, come check us out and, you know, say you came from here so we can, you know, chop it up with you. All right. Thank you, Aaron. It was such a pleasure talking to you. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure as well. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovehuman.com. How to love a human.